You can go ahead and turn to the passage that we read, Psalm 139. You know, um, the theme of the messages for the last several weeks has been cries in the night or lament and, and how we, we share our burdened hearts with God in an honest and real way. Um, and I'm sure for some of you that has, has resonated and continues to resonate um, because your lament is, is real. Um, for some of you, it's fear or it's hurt or it's sadness or it's loneliness or it's some unknown feeling and emotion that you can't quite put your finger on, but it's just there. Um, and I don't promise this morning that I'm going to solve that. You know, you can't, there's not an easy button in a fallen world that just fixes things, right? That's not, um, it's not how it works. But what I do hope this morning um, is to just share truth. You know, David is the author of Psalm 139, and, and if you think about it, when, when he wrote this, he wrote this under the inspiration of God. But that means that God had him write this so that we would know these things about God. This isn't just David writing things down that he was thinking. This is, Dave, this is God communicating to us through David. Um, we've, we've read much of the chapter um, in our responsive reading, I'll just read a few verses to get us started. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. We'll pause right there. Let's go ahead and pray one more time and just ask the Lord to help us in what we're going to do here this morning. Lord, we thank you for for another day um, when we can sit in this room and lift our voices together to praise you. Lord, I thank you for the truths that have been shared in song. And now, Lord, I pray for, for this time, for this moment. Many of us in this room have sat in literally thousands of services. Lord, I pray this morning that this, this would be special and this would be unique. I pray that you would meet with us. I pray that you would be here. I pray that you would speak to us. The needs of the hearts in this room are as different and varied and numbered as the people in this room. And I pray that you would use your words this morning to minister to each people and person in exactly the way they need to be ministered to. I pray that you would help me to communicate your message in exactly the right way. Lord, and more than anything, I pray that everything that we say and do will be done to the honor and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of you may have experienced this yesterday if you went to a college football game, but probably most of the people in this room have been to some sort of event, whether it is a sporting event or a concert or something where there was like the jumbotron the massive screen, maybe in various corners of the arena or maybe out in the outfield of a baseball stadium. But there's a jumbotron and and between innings or pitches or timeouts or whatever, the, the cameraman goes around the crowd and he picks people out and they get to be on the jumbotron. And there's a wide variety of things that happen. There's the person that shows up and they probably dressed so that they would get on the jumbotron. And, and when the music is playing between innings or whatever, they're up and dancing, kind of hoping, looking. And, and when they're finally up there, they're waving. 
Then there's the guy, he's just kind of sitting there eating popcorn, you know, and he gets shown. And his wife is like, look, look, we're on the jumbo tron. And she points and, and they're up there. But at what, whatever, it's two seconds, it's one second, whatever it is, you're up there for a second and there's this big wave and this big reaction. You're excited to be, I got this really close to my face. Then you're excited to be on the jumbotron. You just want to be seen up there. Or maybe, have you ever been in this situation before? You're driving somewhere or you're walking somewhere and there's, there's something happening and there's a TV crew, there's a camera crew over there. And you're in the background or maybe you're driving by and it's like, I think maybe I was in the camera. And you call home and you're like, hey mom, can you like set up the DVR to record the news? Because I think I might be on the news. You're like, what station? I don't really know. Just record them all. But I think I might be on the news. And then you go and you watch all the news broadcasts. You fast forward and you're like, and you scroll. It's like, see right there behind the pole, the blue sweater? That's me. I'm right. I think that's me. And we're excited because we were on the news, even though we're one of a thousand people in a crowd that no one's going to see. But we record it and we go back and we watch it. And, and we like, we point ourselves out. And why do we do that? You know? Why do we do that? Well, there's probably a lot of complex reasons. But the really simple reason is that we want to be seen. Right? We all want to be seen. I don't know if you, any, of you, any of you guys are familiar with the name. Anybody familiar with Brandon Stanton? Anybody know that name? How about Humans of New York? Anybody familiar with Humans of New York? Instagram account. In 2010, Brandon Stanton started an account called Humans of New York. If you're not familiar with it, what it is is he took his camera and he started walking out on the streets of New York. And really what he started doing is photographing people who are unseen. But he didn't just take pictures of them. He walked up to them and he started talking to them. And along with the picture or series of pictures that he would post of these people on his Instagram account, He would have them tell their story in their words. And since 2010, he has exploded. There's more than 12 million people that follow his account on Instagram. There are accounts all over the world that are similar that have copied him. He himself has traveled all over the world and done humans of different cities. Um, He's raised incredible amounts for different charities and different people that he's interviewed. And the impact is pretty significant. In just, just a couple of days ago, there was a man that he photographed named Lawrence. And the quote from Lawrence is this. He said, this might be the first conversation I've had in years that lasted more than five minutes. There's a woman in the grocery store at the checkout stand that I see once a month. She's very nice and very kind. I always look forward to seeing her. We'll have a two or three minute conversation. That's probably the person I talk to the most. I'm retired and I live alone. I read somewhere that the average lifespan of a New Yorker is 75, and I'm 74. And then he talks a little bit about just thinking about death and what that means. But what Lawrence actually does, Lawrence walks the streets of New York as well and takes pictures. He says, when I'm out on the street with my camera, I get away from all that. I get away from myself. It all becomes about observance. And I find that it's much easier to be alone when I'm among people. The distance makes it comfortable for me. I find it's easier to relate to people when it's not intimate. Normally I'll choose solitary people to photograph. Sometimes I'll approach them, but more times than not, I'll shoot uninvited. But even when I don't ask permission, I feel closer to that person. When I get a photo that I really like, I'll post it to my Flickr account. 
Every once in a while, people will leave a comment, and that's the icing on the cake. That also feels like a connection in some way, and I need that. I need a connection of some sort for me to feel human, for me to feel like I'm not just in my own head all the time, for me to feel like I'm somehow part of the world. What a, what a story. This man lives in a city with millions and millions and millions of people, and for years, the longest conversation he has had is someone who stopped him on the street to take his picture. You know, that story probably resonates with everybody in here, and in some way, it touches us at least, but maybe you can't relate. You know, maybe your support network is fantastic. You've got parents, and you've got friends. You've got a group of, of a social network somewhere else, and and you're sympathetic to someone like Lawrence, but that doesn't really make sense to you because that's just not your world. There are other people here in this room that has more than 600 people in it probably, and you can completely relate because you are sitting here this morning and maybe feel a little bit invisible. Or maybe you know people and you have relationships and even some people that you would call friends, but the real you feels kind of invisible. Because you develop this persona and you put on this face and you show up and you, you pretend to be a certain thing because that's what you're supposed to be. You're a leader maybe here in the church or at work or in your home or whatever that role is. So you put on this face and you pretend to be something and you go through day after day after day and the real you, you feel like nobody ever knows because you're scared to let them know. This morning we're going to talk about, in the simplest outline you've probably ever heard in your life, the very simple truth that God knows me. I'm going to start with the first four verses again that we just read. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from far off. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. There is nothing in your life that is hidden from or surprises God. There's nothing. It may be hidden from everybody else in the world, and it may surprise everybody else in the world, but there's nothing in our lives that is hidden from or surprises God. Verse 2, he knows when I sit down to rest and when I wake up to start my day. He knows my thoughts, the things that I never, ever say out loud. He knows them. He knows where I go during the day, and he knows when I go to bed at the end of it. And it's not that he's casually, just kind of casually aware out of the peripheral vision of what's going on. You know, sometimes Michelle and I will have a conversation and she'll say something. Did you see that so-and-so did whatever? You know, and, and it'll be some, something in somebody's life that an acquaintance or a friend or whatever. And, I, and I'm like, oh yeah, I think I saw something on Facebook where something happened. It's just this kind of peripheral knowledge out there. That's not how God knows us. Verse 3 says he is intimately acquainted with all my ways. He doesn't just know what I'm doing or what I have done. In verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Even before I know what I'm going to say, God knows it. God knows me. 
So, so what does that do for you, right? What does that do for you? For some of us this morning, that's going to be a little bit scary. We talked a minute ago about being seen, right? It's like, well, I don't want to be seen quite like that. You know, I don't want to be that seen. Well, we, we are definitely completely seen. But let me say this. If being known by God scares you, you're thinking about God the wrong way. Let me say that again. If being completely known by God scares you, you're thinking about God the wrong way. God's frequently referred to as a father. That word comes with a lot of meaning, a lot of different meaning for a lot of people. Again, our experiences shape what that might mean. There's some here that think of being seen by your father as really comforting and sweet. When you were a kid, your dad got home at the end of the day, and the first thing you, you couldn't wait, like, look, daddy, look, daddy, look, daddy, look. I want to show you this. I want you to see this. Watch me do this. You wanted to know that your dad was there and that he was watching you, and you wanted to tell him it everything there are others that when dad came home at the end of the day when your father showed up you did everything you possibly could not to be seen you know it was like hide get out of the way you don't know what's going to set him off today and that's that's your impression that's your emotional reaction to the idea of a father and and if you're if you're that, that person, um, I'm sorry. I mean, that's not, that's not a flippant. I'm not being flippant or casual when I say that. I'm sorry that's been your experience, but that is not our God. That is not the kind of father that God is. We read the first four verses. Verse five says this. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand on me. That's who God is. So this God that we spent four verses saying, he knows this, he knows this, he knows this, he knows everything. His response to knowing everything about me is to enclose me behind and before and put his hand on me. There's a song that says, it might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. There's another from a much older hymn that says, Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. This God who knows us completely surrounds us and shelters us and protects us. He's our shelter, our protector, our comforter. He's our redeemer, most importantly of all. He knows us completely, 100%, everything about you, and he is your redeemer, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. John 10, verse 27 through 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Romans 8, which mirrors the song that the praise team just sang, says this, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, did not, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all 
things. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Every little detail, the most embarrassing little detail, the most horrendous little detail of our lives, of our thoughts, of our actions, is known by God, and he loves us. The worst thing that you've ever done or thought about doing is known by God, and he loves us. Full stop. God knows me, and he loves me. And David appropriately finishes this particular section with verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And it's, it's an amazing thing to understand that someone could respond that way because we don't respond that way. When we learn things about people and see beyond the, the pretty, you know, the face that we all put out there in the persona, when we learn those things, we, we respond in a way that was like, oh, they do what? They did what? Uh, that's the real them, you know? And it changes the way that we respond. But in Romans 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing, isn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after I did all these things, not after I cleaned this up. This isn't the kind of thing where you're going to get a gym membership, but you've got to get in shape before you get your gym membership, right? And then I'll go. Or it's actually, so, so my parents um, have someone helping them clean their house these days. And they were coming over, this was just a couple of weeks ago, they just started this, and they were coming over, um, you know, and I was stopping by to visit, and my mom's explaining to me that we've got someone who's just going to help us do some of this stuff, and she said, i got to get ready for him to come. <laughs> right? i got to clean up so the cleaner can get here and not think that my house is dirty. It's like, you're paying them to clean the house. Yeah, but I just got to touch up a few things. God sees the mess. God sees the mess and absolutely, completely loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is there judgment? There, there is. There is. It's real. God is a holy God, and we are not. God is perfect and sinless and majestic beyond our ability to even comprehend. And we are not. But he knows that. And he created a plan that included the sacrifice of his son to solve that problem for us because we can't solve it 
on our own. So I don't mean to say that God is completely tolerant of sin and do, hey, whatever you want, knock yourself out. I mean to say that God knows that we're sinners and Christ died for us. He solved that. He made a way for us to be reconciled with him even in our sin. Micah 7 verse 18 says this, Who is a God like you who pardons wrongdoing and passes over a rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? And listen to this part. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God's mercy to us is not reluctant. Okay, I'll give you one more chance. Okay, he delights in mercy. He celebrates it. It's part of his plan to redeem us through his mercy and his grace. To be known by God isn't scary, it's safe. Think about it this way. God isn't Santa Claus. We're a couple of months away from, you know, walking up to every little kid and saying, have you been good this year? And they're thinking, I hope so, because I want to get some presents. God doesn't say, have you been good this year? He knows we haven't. He's seen it. You don't have to prove anything to be loved by God. And you won't lose his love when you fail. God knows me. Second point, and this is where really, this is for real, the simplest outline you've ever heard in your life. God knows me. See what I did there? Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in shoal, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God knows me. That God who is everywhere, all the time, completely omnipresent. That means everywhere, all the time. That God knows me. I'm sure someone in here, some of us in here, have met someone who's famous, right? And immediately you're thinking of that, and you kind of want to tell the story of that time I met someone who's famous. And, you know, as you start that conversation, it turns into this little bit of a one-upsmanship. Well, I met this person. And you start figuring out who met the most famous person and what that situation was and how much time you actually got to spend with them. Um, and there's, there's like this little status, you know, that comes with, with who do you know or who have you met. I saw something on, I don't remember if it was something flipping channels. Who flips channels anymore? You stream, right? Um, it's probably on my phone. Um, it's really, let's be real, it's probably on my phone. And some guy was walking through a, a locker room and talking to these different athletes on the team. And he just walked up and said, who's the most famous person in your phone? And they'd throw some name out there. And they're like, call him, see if he answers. I'm like, okay. And one guy called, I, didn't remember, I don't remember who it was. He called somebody that was famous. And, and, and he immediately got a text back that said, who is this? <laughs> He's like, well, shoot, <laughs> that's not cool. And they walked up to another guy. He's like, who's the most famous person on your phone? He's like, Jay-Z. He's like, really? Why don't you call him? He said, I'm just kidding. I don't know Jay-Z. 
but there's this, we want to be, we want to have this connection, this status, by knowing someone who's famous. But, but to actually then be known by that person is kind of next level, right? That's, wow. It's not just that I've met him or whatever. He knows me. Silly illustration, right? But God knows me. And, and this, is, this is the God that we're talking about. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So in recent months, as it seems like happens every couple of months, another telescope goes a little bit further, right? And we get pictures from further away that are consistently more amazing than the ones that showed up before. And when you first look at the picture, you see millions of stars, or, or just may, however many there are, you can't count them. Just these, they're colorful and they're bright, and there's so many, and it's so far away from us. And you're like, that's an unbelievable number of stars. And then you read the caption, and you realize that every one of those stars that you can't count is actually a galaxy that possesses an innumerable, uncountable number of stars. And that. All of that exists to declare the glory of God. It exists to declare the glory of God. It doesn't exist to show us God. It exists to describe, to to help us understand one attribute, his glory. That's why they're there. So that we can understand that. And somehow the fact that we can't comprehend the distance and the size and the number helps us to understand the greatness of God. And that God knows you. And what David is trying to say in these couple of verses here is I could go beyond what those telescopes can even see and you are still there with me. Not just that you're there, you're there with me. Me, verse 10, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He's not just with you. He's active in your everything. He's active in your everything. And there's some in here. I started out saying your connection to what Andrew's been talking about of cries in the night and lament might be fear or, you know, uncertainty or doubt or whatever. Probably a lot of you would just describe it very simple as, as darkness, right? Just, it's just, there's just a darkness. And there's, there's something, there is something just unsettling about darkness, Right? We used to do, this has been like 100 years ago. It was long before this building was built. We did a youth group activity. There's probably some, there's probably some people in this room who are grown-ups now who did this as a youth group activity with us. Um, we, would, we would take black, uh, like just black plastic sheeting, and tape it together into tubes. And we, we laid those all throughout the church proper. I mean, all inside the buildings, up into the nurseries and down the hallways and through the sanctuary and up and down the aisles. And then at the end of that, we would get those carpet drying fans and you, you tape them up and seal it all up and you turn them on. And that black plastic tubing turns into a tunnel. And we played this game, this like mine shaft game. I don't even remember what we called it, 
where we would send all the teenagers in there to go find stuff inside those tunnels. And it was really fun because they'd like run into walls and different stuff like that. Um, but it was amazing how you got like three feet into that thing, like literally, as soon as you got away from the entrance, it was absolutely pitch black. I mean, you couldn't, literally could not see your hand in front of your face. And you wouldn't think it would be that way because you're in the middle of a church building. But, but it, it's not unsettling because there's going to be like some weird animal or something inside of there. It was unsettling because there was going to be like a youth leader or somebody like that in there. <laughs> and you just weren't sure when someone was going to absolutely freak you out. But darkness, I know, dumb illustration, right? But darkness is really unsettling. And maybe that's what your world feels like right now. But David addresses that. Surely the darkness will overwhelm me. And the light around me will be night. But remember, God knows me. And verse 12 says, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Darkness is not dark to God. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, it's not darkness to God. He's with you. He leads. He holds. He's my safety in the darkness. Verse 11, if I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. I worked with a guy years ago. Before he had the, the job at the company where we both were, he had worked in, um, in a safari company, actually. He was a British guy, and he traveled around organizing African safaris. <clears throat> and he told a story that was kind of amazing. Um, they had been camped out in the middle of who knows where in Africa on a safari. And somewhere outside of the camp, there were temporary restroom facilities built, a latrine, whatever, and he got up in the middle of the night to head what he thought was in that direction. And, and the darkness, I guess, was overwhelming is maybe the right way to describe it. And he literally, he walked off the edge of a cliff, straight down. And just the way he fell, he fell straight down and both of his legs just jammed into the ground and he, and he broke his legs and messed up his ankles and, and a bad deal, right? Obviously. Because it was just so dark that he just literally walked off the edge of a cliff. God is with us in the darkness and he's not just there he's leading us we don't have to be afraid to, that we're going to walk off the edge of a cliff we just have to trust in the God who knows me the third part I'll bet you can guess it God knows me. God knows me. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are my works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God knows me. It's not an undiscussed problem in today's world that people struggle with self-esteem. And we can pull out our phones and point to them and talk about all the evils of social media or whatever we want to do. Um, because this perf- these perfect images and ideas and thoughts about what life should be like is, is in front of our faces all of the time, and we find ourselves not measuring up to that. And we find ourselves disappointed because we don't measure up to that, and we feel less than or like failures or whatever. Again, this isn't a problem that gets discussed in churches. This is a problem that j- gets discussed, period. Um. There are people with, with no religious foundation for it whatsoever that say, my daughter's not jumping on Instagram because of what it does and the dangers of it. But, but what is really happening there is the truth that the God that we just talked about with all the stars and the universe and all of that, that God <clears throat> intentionally, specifically, fearfully and wonderfully made every single person in the world. Does anybody remember Garrison Keillor and Lake Wobegon days? Throwback? Anybody remember that radio show? This guy used to do a radio show where he would tell stories about this fictional town. And one of the lines as he introduced the town was where all the kids are above average. Well, I kind of like math and numbers and stuff like that. And if you think about that just for a second, not everybody can be above average, right? Because if everybody is above average, then that just means average is up here. And everybody's average, right? There's not average with God's creation. You were specifically made to be you. You're exactly the way you're supposed to be. Verse 14 says, wonderful are your works. There is no mistake with God. He designed you to be who you are sitting here today. Verse 14, I will give thanks to you because I am fearfully, awesomely, and wonderfully made. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. There were no mistakes in God's creation, and that includes you, whatever that means for who you are. So maybe you don't have movie star good looks, right? Good news, you don't need them. You're not a movie star. Those slots are taken by really good looking people. (laughs) Other people don't have more talent, they just have different talent. God didn't short you for what he wants you to do. And what he wants you to do is not less important than what he has somebody else doing. The way we keep score, it might look less important. It might look like it doesn't matter as much. It might look like the impact is not as, as great. You have the ability, the way you are created and the way you sit here today to glorify God with your life as much as anybody 
who has ever been created. The author of this book, you can glorify God as much as David glorified God because you were created specifically to be you. Fearfully and wonderfully made applies to you. So what do we do with all of this? Outline again, real simple. God knows me. God knows me. God knows me. If you look down at the last two verses in this chapter, I used to think about these in a way that I honestly think was just wrong. Or maybe not wrong, but maybe it was, it was limited is a better way to say it. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And I don't know, maybe with a perspective on this whole book. That was, or this whole chapter. That was a little bit, maybe afraid of being known by God. Like that's a scary thing. Like that, that, that I, I read that um, as, as more of a, you know, you better watch out, you better not pout because God is with me and he knows me and he sees me, so I better straighten up and behave myself. And, and didn't really read it as, as that's, that, there's rest there, right? There is rest there. Michelle and I have been married for a little over 33 years and, and she knows me. The parts that are really a pain. <laughs> she can usually probably predict them. Oh, he's going to want to do this. And, and guess what? I usually want to do that. But she knows that that's what's going to happen. And yet she loves me. And how amazing, how safe is it to be able to be me in that relationship that I have with my wife. As messed up as I am, I can be me and she loves me. Now take that to the God of the universe. He created me, so he knows me. He knows my thoughts. He knows my actions. He knows my everything. He's with me all of the time, and he constantly and consistently loves me. And so if we use all of the stuff we just talked about, and then we get to these verses at the end, this is really the cry in the night part of this passage. He says all these things, And then after he describes how much God knows him, he says, search me. Wait, you know everything. Why do you have to search me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Anybody with anxious thoughts in here this morning? Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And this phrase in the King James, it transferred and see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm reading from New American Standard this morning. It says, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And I, I, 
have always read that as see if there's some, some sin, something that I'm doing, something I need to cut out of my life that, that I'm doing wrong. And I don't think that's inappropriate. But more so, as we connect it to what came before it, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Verse 24, and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think what he's trying to say is as we're talking about our thoughts and the way that he feels and this comforting presence he gets from God knowing him and being with him, what he's trying to say is see if the way that I'm thinking about things is untrue. And by untrue, I mean inconsistent with the truth that we know about God. See if there be any hurtful way in me. See if my thought patterns and the way that I feel, see if that is inconsistent with the truth. And if it's inconsistent with the truth, do this. Lead me in the everlasting way. See, at the start of this, I said, if, if you are crying in the night, and you are in a place where you just can't seem to get your feet under you and you can't be settled and you can't find peace and you're struggling with it and maybe it's been a really long time, maybe it hasn't, but the struggle is absolutely real. We're going to feel a lot of ways, right? And our feelings are really strong and a lot of times the way we feel drives the things that we do. More often than not, the way that we feel drives the things that we do. I feel hungry, I eat, I feel tired, I sleep. What he's saying in this verse, search me, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me, any way in me that is inconsistent with the truth about what you say I am about how you feel about me, about what you do for me. See if there's anything that is untruthful in that. And if there is, lead me in the everlasting way. The everlasting way is truth. Lead me there. Lead me to truth. Lead me to truth. Lead me to truth. Because that's what I am hoping these verses do this morning. See, reading these verses is more powerful than any words that I can layer on top of them. Because this is God talking to us to tell us things about himself that we can use. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. Sometimes these verses could be, could be used to, I don't know, maybe support the idea of a prosperity gospel and how everything is going to be great and wonderful. And if it's not, maybe we're doing something wrong. But really, it's just a trust that God will lead us. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Again, he knows, he knows. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Hope. My mother-in-law's name meant hope. My daughter's middle name is Hope. We just want hope. When it's dark, when we're scared, when we're lonely, like Lawrence in the middle of millions of people 
saying, I'm 74 and people die at 75. Just needs hope. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And how amazing is this? And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. That's God talking to you. I will be found by you. He doesn't promise that tomorrow is going to be easier. He doesn't promise that the day after or the day after or the day after will be easier. But he does promise that wherever we are, whatever we do, he's with us. He loves us. He holds us. He planned for this. He's not surprised by this. God knows me. There's not a person in this room who hears what I'm saying this morning for whom that is not true. It doesn't matter how it feels. It doesn't really matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth is the truth. What it, it is what it is. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. The song that the praise team sang was actually one that I had asked. Matt, Matt talked, asked what I was going to talk about, and I said, here's the theme. Here's a couple of songs that actually kind of tie in. Use them or don't, whatever. This is one that I said. If you were paying attention, here's some phrases from it. Somehow, you don't see me like I do. Somehow, you're still here. You're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction when the whole world walks away. You're the God who stands with wide open arms. And you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. So I don't know who in here this morning needs this. As I prepared and prayed over this, that, that was my prayer, that there's somebody in here. If you're not that somebody, thanks for being here. But <laughs> my prayer was that somebody in here needed what God had out of this passage. God knows me. God knows me. God knows me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the just the simple fact that when we spend a little bit more time in it and get beyond a quick read, you have so much for us. There's so much about you 
that is true, that we can use in our every single day. Lord, I pray for the people in this room, maybe the person in this room who needs this the most. I pray that the power of the Spirit would just minister to their heart through your words this morning. I pray that there would be encouragement and peace and safety and comfort in knowing that you are the God who stays, that nothing we can do can separate us from your love. Lord, I pray that, that most of all, through what we said this morning, that just the message of the gospel and Jesus Christ crucified, our Redeemer forever and for anything, has been given to us by the love of God and that he might receive the glory by what we have done here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.